a second, Pastor. Amen. John chapter 3. I want to read a couple of verses, <clears throat> excuse me, and you likely have uh, uh, heard of these, at least one of them. It might be the first verse many of us learned in Sunday school as children. But uh, I want to review uh, I want to review something that is germane to the fact that Valentine's Day is coming and, you know, we're getting a chance to check out uh, how we feel about love. And I'm, I see all your Instagram memes and all this good stuff about, about love. And I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you about the love that never fails. I want to talk to you about a love that is everlasting. I want to talk to you about the love of God. Is that fair? All right, is it okay? I want to teach this morning. We might get to a priest later, but I really want to teach something this morning. So if, you, if you're ready, shout, I'm ready. Let's start at verse uh, 14. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. How many Bibles say should not perish? How many Bibles say should not perish? Okay. In the original writing, in the original language, that was not in there. He said because, because God focused more on us living than us dying. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, it doesn't mean he never talks about it because he's going to talk about it in a second. But I want you to see how, I want you to see that, you know, uh, unfortunately, we spend a lot of time talking about and keeping people out of or putting them in the place of perishing instead of talking them into the place of living. All right? So, so he says this. He says, verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have, somebody shout, everlasting life. Somebody shout, everlasting life. I want you to find two people and tell them the love that lasts. The love that lasts. The love that lasts. The love that lasts. Father, we bless you and we are honored today to be able to go into the word of God. And Father, your text and your scripture just help us to define something that we do not know, uh, but only do not know in whole, but know in part. And that is your love for us. Father, today I pray that you would send an anointing that makes teaching the gospel and preaching the gospel simple and make it and allow us to receive the gospel. Father, I pray that you would, uh, that you would send an anointing for teaching that we would see what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to show us concerning how thoroughly you love us. We honor you for this, God, and we give your name the glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Somebody shout amen. Amen. You may be seated. Smile at somebody. Tell them it's just church. It's okay. Tell them you don't have to cry. It's just church. It's just church. Uh, we're coming up around, th we're coming up around uh, Valentine's Day holiday. Valentine's Day holiday is oftentimes uh, the holiday of love. And all of us love to be in love. And we, we love the concept of love. And we are gushy and eye-minded. And love is at the core of what it means to be a valentine. And as it relates to Valentine's Day, Valentine's is oftentimes connected with this little, um, this little baby that has wings and a halo and a bow and arrow named Cupid. And I don't know about you, but it would weird me out if a flying baby, <laughs> it would just weird me out if a flying baby came. And if Cupid released his arrow and you were hit by his arrow, you fell in love with the first person that you saw. And this is the idea of, of Valentine's Day, that we want to be loved and we want to love. And that is, that, that is, for the sake of a holiday, a novel concept and a novel idea. 
But there is some truth that we can extrapolate from this premise that we love, that we all want to love and be loved. Every person in this room desires love, and not just do you desire love, you desire to give that love away as well. So this idea of being loved is at the, is at the substratum or at the basis of the human experience because God created us relational. Somebody shout relational. Say that again, shout relational. God created us relationally. We were built for relationship. We were not built for, for human transactions. We were built for relations. And the idea of relating and having relationships with one another allows us to give off the best of our cognitive and our spiritual being for the sake of experiencing how wonderful God has made us. You got to understand this. When, it ta- when, when we think about the way that God made the human being, he made us relationally. And we grow in relationship. You do not grow in isolation. We develop in relationship. You do not develop in isolation. So for all of you that feel like that you can do life by yourself and you don't need no friends and you don't need no significant other and I don't have to have and don't need, you are probably one of the most miserable people you know. Uh, yeah, you, ne- you never thought about it that way because we were, you were meant to laugh and to have reason to laugh. You were meant to love and be loved in return. You were meant to help and be helped. You were meant to grow and help grow. God put all of that stuff down on the inside of us, and he never meant for us to develop in isolation. So much to the degree that God looked at Adam and told Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. He said, Adam, it's not okay for you to be alone. You're not suppo- you are not meant to just develop with your relationship with God and relationship with your work. We need each other. If we are going to grow, we have to have one another. If we are going to man- maneuver in this world, we have to, to have one another. Now, by partnerships, I don't necessarily mean romantic partnerships. I just mean friendships, by relationships rather. I don't mean romantic. I just mean it to be in relation to someone, to have proximity around people, to have someone that you can share yourself with and you can receive them from, to have, to have people that you work with or friends that you can play ball with or girlfriends that you can pick up the phone and talk to. All of these things matter. No matter how, how we desecrate the, the idea of them when we get angry at life and angry at each other, these simple interactions matter because they are core to the human experience. You were made to be in relationship with someone in some form or fashion. Now, what we are in relationship, God has called us to love. Somebody shout love. Everything that we are in relationship with, God called us to love. The Greek thinker would think about love in three different levels. Some of you understand these words already, agape love, phileo love, and eros love. Eros, if we start there, in your Bible, is is given the word love, but in, in the original language, they would use the word eros. What eros is, is it is the type of love that is, um, uh, it is, it is uh, I want to say this the best way that I can. It is the kind of love that is earned. Maybe I should start there. It is the kind of love that is earned. Eros is the, is the if I could call there being a base level of love, it is the level that is at the lowest substratum of the love spectrum. The idea that, that, Eros has to be earned from the person receiving Eros is, uh, is, is, uh, is, is at the core of the meaning 
when we talk about eros love. Eros is where we get our English word erotic from. It is an erotic kind of love. It's, it's a love that is not so into giving as much as it is into receiving. And, the, and at the base, what happens with this type of love is it becomes extremely transactional. Eros love is not just centered around romanticism, and neither is it just necessarily centered around the erotic of sex. It is, a, it is a word that can be taken out of the context of the bedroom and into the context of everyday relationships. When you have relationships where you look at the person across from you as an object for you to receive something from, as opposed as an object for you to give to in return, you are operating in an erotic type of love. Erotic just takes. It just wants you to get. You are there for my pleasure. You are there for my needing. You are there for me to go to my next level. You are there for me to get my whatever off. You are there for me to. That is the base of erotic love. And at the base of erotic love, unfortunately, many of us are operating with erotic love with people that we're not even having erotic experiences with. Boy, the church is quiet today. Many, because, we, you, because oftentimes we do not see the fact that when we express this kind of love, how much usury goes into the concept of love. Now, love by itself is not just about giving. Love has a level of reciprocity to it. I want you to understand that, is that you can love something and have an expectation of what you're loving. It is important for you to know that. It is okay. So erotic or eros or erotic love doesn't have to be a negative thing just because there's an expectation. It becomes base and becomes negative when that's all you expect is for what you have chosen to express love to, to give you something and make you feel good or happy. God looks at that love and we look at that love and we, we oftentimes misuse that love. So, so the next level, if I can use that terminology of love, is what we call phileo love or phileo love. Where, we, uh, where it means it is the love that you have for your brother or your sister. This is the love that God has always challenged us to operate in, the phileo love. Somebody shout phileo. It is where we get the word Philadelphia from. That's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love, loving each other as, as if we are in relation to one another. And this is the base level of not just how you would love a friend, but how you would love a human being for the sake of them being a human being. Before they're able to help you or make you laugh or, or, or share a hobby with you, brotherly love says, I love you because you're a human being. It's the kind of love that a parent has for their child just because it's their child. The kind of love that a man has for a little old lady who needs help crossing the street just because she needs help crossing the street. It's the kind of natural love that we have for compassion in cities and in nations where people suffer worse than we suffer. There should be something that says, you know what, I've got an emotion that, is, uh, that, that comes out of me that gives the kind of divine empathy that allows a love transaction to take place. Brotherly love, this kind of love, is a love that transcends all of the stuff you have been taught to hate. This is the, this is the love that transcends all the people that you've been taught to hate. Y'all are not talking back to me. Boy, this is the quietest I've heard the city in about two years. Because with brotherly love, God asks you that this is the kind of love you're supposed to give somebody no matter what color they are, no matter what, what race they come from, no matter what nation they're a part of, no matter what their orientation is. Y'all are awfully quiet in here today. God says that because they have the quality of my being on their life, you are supposed to love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's what your Bible says. 
You're supposed to love your neighbor how you love yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? That's what they asked him in the scripture afterwards. They say, say, who is my neighbor? And he basically told them, he said, I want you to look around and see that everybody you encounter is your neighbor. And no, you don't have to like how they do their house. And you don't have to like how they dress. And you don't have to like who they hang out with. But if they need bread, you need to give them some bread. And if they need cool water, you need to give them some cool water. Now watch what Jesus says about brotherly love. He says, if a man was to smack you on the cheek, he say, turn and give him the other cheek likewise. Now, y'all know how it is. Like, Jesus, I ain't nobody's soft nothing. He pop me in the face. I'm popping him right back in the face. And that's not what God is trying to get to. He's not getting to the space where he's telling you to get smacked by anybody by no stretch of the imagination. But where he's trying to go with this is he's trying to get us to understand that he knows something that we don't know. Nobody does anything that is that egregious for nothing. Nobody causes, has mistakes. Nobody wants to be angry all the time. Nobody wants to be mean. Nobody wants to be frustrated. Nobody wants to be left out. Nobody wants to feel alone. Nobody wants to be that, but sometimes people are. And when they are, they respond according to the journey that they had to walk. When they're angry and frustrated and left out and mad and frustrated and left out and hurt and angry, and then you show up on the scene with your happy-go-lucky save self, and then you get the snap back, and you're like, what in the world did I do? God says, before you clap back and give them a piece of your mind, why don't you turn the other cheek and give them another chance? Because I am the God that is not just governing their action. I see the journey of how they got here. Watch this. And you turning your other cheek. Somebody shout the other cheek. You turning the other cheek is your way or God's way of allowing his grace to be seen in the world that before I give you my retribution, I give you my other cheek because God doesn't always deal with us at the hint of our mistake. He always turns the other cheek. Y'all look, boy, I wish I was talking to, am I talking to anybody in here that's grateful that God had turned the other cheek? Because he says that I've turned the other cheek, and, I, and it, it expresses an opportunity for God's grace to be given. And God to say that I understand your journey. For God to say I'm with you along the way. And when you do that, you have expressed brotherly love. You have expressed brotherly, no, I don't like people that got nasty things to say about me. But I understand that nobody wakes up wanting to be nasty. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting amen. No, I don't like when people call me crazy things. See, all y'all want to be popular and stuff. Yeah, you sure you want to be popular? Because people take their best shot at you when, when they think you got a name. When they think that, oh, this is this pastor so-and-so and so and this brother so-and-so and so. Then they take their best shot at you. And then, they, then they're so cowards nowadays, they don't even tell you to your face no more. They send you an email and tell you how much they didn't like the sermon. Or, or worse, they go to Instagram and they try to tell. And then they, you know how people, they don't never tell the truth truth, they just kind of like hint at who they're talking about, and everybody know who they're talking about. Don't look at your neighbor. Look at me. Don't look at everybody. Focus on me. Focus on me. And, but, 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 
But this is what God says. God says that, hey, man, if you're going to walk with me and if you're going to stand for me, you're going to have to put on your big boy britches and your big girl skirt because it's going to take some, you're going to take some licks. And I expect you to express my grace because nobody wanted to be that nasty at you. They didn't wake up this morning wanting to be this angry at the world. They didn't get up and say, wow, I can't wait to be a jerk when I get to work. Nobody does that. There is a journey that gets you to be that angry. I wish I, am I helping anybody? There's a journey that gets you to be that frustrated. There's a journey that gets you to be that mean. There's a journey that gets you to be that distrusting. And you get the right by God to be the agent that helps somebody understand that even though you hurt me, God still loves you. And if you're hungry, I'm going to feed you. And if you need water, I'll give it to you. And if you need shelter, I'll fight for your right to have shelter. Eat with your nasty because I can give brotherly love. Somebody shout brotherly love. Brotherly love takes it up a notch. You don't have to perform for my brotherly love. You don't have to act out for my brotherly love. You don't have to do everything I tell you to do for my brotherly love. My love is not on a string when I start stepping into your brotherly love. When you're moving into brotherly love, you have taken human performance out of the equation, and now you are operating on God's grace to move in this world. Now you're saying, God, you told me that you will bless me if people rightfully misuse me. God, you told me that you would bless me if I could maintain myself through the journey of my struggle. You told me that you would bless me. What brotherly love does is it says that you don't have to pay me back. I'm going to wait for my payment to come from God. And I'll deal with this stuff that you're dealing with because my reward is coming from heaven. Am I talking to anybody in here? Tell your neighbor real quick, say, my reward comes from heaven. My reward comes from heaven. That's the wrong neighbor. Tell your neighbor, as much as I had to put up with you, God's got to bless me. Because, uh, for as much, all right, so now watch this. So now we're talking about the love that lasts. Somebody shout the love that lasts. The love that lasts is not, is now, it's not necessarily in the place of phylos, and neither is it in the place uh, particularly of of, of eros either. The kind of love we want to talk about is the kind of love that God operates in, and it is called agape. Say agape. It is the third and the final type of love, and I know some of this is ABC to some of y'all deep folks in here, but, but if you would give me a, a second to walk you through John 3.16 so that we can get a real picture of what God is trying to tell us. He says this as it relates, uh, he says this about the reason why he sent his son. The Bible say that God so loved the world. Somebody shall so love. Somebody shall so love. This is the primary origin for why God moves and what motivates God. God is not motivated by tears. I tell us that all the time, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't cry. God is not motivated by us jumping up and down and worshiping. God, God, that doesn't mean that you should not worship God. God does not necessarily, he's not motivated by your offering. God, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't give an offering. But God is motivated by one thing and one thing only. He is motivated by love. Somebody shout love. Somebody shout love. He doesn't need your worship because worship tells God who he is. You would not know who he is if he didn't tell you who he is, so he knows who he is. So he's not motivated by our giving. There is no ATM machine where you can send God a quick $20. You can't cash app heaven. So he doesn't need, your, he doesn't need your, your, your money. That is not how you move God. God is not moved by these things. What moves God is love. He is motivated by the agape love, by the un 
deserved love that he wants to give the world, the unearned love. And I want you to understand this. We use the terminology unconditional love, and I don't want to say that love is unconditional. You'll understand that in a few minutes. He's not, it's not the unconditional love. It's the love that comes without conditions. Now, this is important for you to understand. When he talks about the agape, when he talks about the agape love, uh, uh, and that's how it's spelled if you're writing it, it is a covenant kind of love. It's not an unconditional love. It's a covenant kind of love. It is the kind of love that God locked himself into by having covenant with himself that he would always love us. Now, I need you to understand why that matters is that the Bible says that when God made an oath one time that he tried to look around and see what he could compare or what he could swear his oath by. He looked to the mountains and said, nope, I can't swear by the mountains. He said, I made them. He looked at the sun and said, nah, I can't really swear by the sun because I, I made the sun. The Bible says he looked to the earth and said, I can't, make, I can't swear by this earth. You know how y'all be like, I swear on my mama. You know how y'all do that. He said, I, I don't have one of them, so I can't swear. Watch what the Bible says he did. He said, I swear by myself. He said, I put it on me that I'm going to do something. Boy, I'm you don't understand how committed God is to being a blessing in your life. He swore by his own name. God, help me in this place. Now you've got to understand what a covenant is. Now the way the covenant works in the Old Testament, what they would do if they would cut covenant with one another, the book of Exodus describes God's covenant with Abraham. What happens now is that you usually take two living things and you kill one of them. You kill them both. And then you allow the blood of them both to kind of intermingle together. And the two parts coming into covenant will walk through the blood. And they would have it on their fingertips or have it on their feet or have it on whatever. And uh, this is the earliest centuries. It got a little cleaner as the time went on. But, it, but in the earlier days, in the, it, and this was not just something that was connected to uh, people that walked with Yahweh. It was also just a way of the, the region for the way that people Covenant. Now that sounds gross, but you, but there is a symbolism behind it. What the two people that were walking through the blood were saying to one another was, whatever we have agreed on, let what happened to these animals happen to us if we were to break covenant with one another. And the sign of that covenant is the blood that's on our feet or on our hands or whatever they put themselves, whatever, wherever they placed it. This is what that said. It sounded gory, but there was a reason behind it. This is, the, this is the premise by which God swears by himself. God says, I want y'all to think about because these two animals, he said, if I, and I'm not going to kill me because I'm self-existent and I'm existence itself and it is impossible for me to kill me. Watch this. So when God makes a covenant, the covenant has to happen because it is incapable of dying for it not to happen. Did that make sense? So God says, I swear by myself that I am going to love, I am going to walk this out with these people, I am going to love all the things that I created, and this is my covenant with myself. So when we talk about agape love, it is not a love that has no conditions. God still has an expectation for all of us, even though he loves us. That's why he gave us a whole list of laws and rules for us to walk by, because there is some conditions and there are some expectations. However, somebody shout however. 
However, that is not the proper definition for agape. Agape is a covenant kind of love. It is the love in which God has obligated himself to give to us because he understands that what the world needs more is love and not more strife and not more hate and not more this and not more that. And he says that as long as I am, they will always have an opportunity to tap into this thing called love. And I so love, somebody shout so love. Somebody shout so love. Now, now he puts a measurement on how much he loves us. Now, the thing about God is you've got to understand that he is putting himself on the line when he talks about how much he loves us. Everybody in this room got a limit to their love. I know we all going to buy cards that this weekend that's going to say I love you to the moon and back, and there is nothing that will break my love from you. We're going to buy cards that say that you are my forever love, and I'm going to love you forever. You're going to buy cards that say that you are never ending, and my love for you never ends. That's cute, and that sounds right, but that ain't really what you mean. I mean, what you mean is I'm going to love you until you cheat on me. That's, that's what you mean. I mean, tell truth, tell truth, shame the devil. You at church. He said, he said, he said what I mean is I'm going to love you till you cross me. That's what we really mean. I'm going to love you until, watch this, nowadays, until I just don't want to be with you no more. You know how, you know how that works nowadays. I'm going to love, that's what we really mean. So love does have conditions. God is saying that I've got a kind of love that, 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 that has no condition on the fact that I love you. But I so love you. Now, how long is so? Well, this is what the Bible teaches us about God. He has no beginning. He has no end. Which means that there really is no end to how far God has, has made himself be in covenant to loving you. That means, somebody shout, that means... That means that in order for God to love you, he has to give you grace because you're, because we are not going to follow every dot, every I, and cross every T as it relates to walking with the Lord. Because God hates sin. God hates things that are anti him. God hates all of it. He probably told her, I hate it, but I made a covenant to love you. And if I'm going to love you while you're walking through things that I hate, then I have to give you grace. Are y'all following what I'm saying? And what is grace? Grace is not the opportunity for you to smack me on the other cheek. Grace is the opportunity for me to deal with what led you into wanting to smack me on the cheek. So God said that I strive or I walk with the backslider. That means that when the backslider tries to turn back and slide the other direction, God says that he'll stop, turn and come and get you and keep you moving, not because you deserved it, but because he committed himself to so love you. Tell your neighbor, say, God loves me. God loves me. As much as you've hurt the heart of heaven, God's got to love you. As much as you backslidden, God's got to love you. As much as you walk outside of your godly character and he's still with you, God must love you. Because, he, because the truth be told, some of us have been doing some unlovable stuff. But God said that I made a covenant that I am going to so love you. That means I'm not going to ever stop loving you. That's, that's powerful right there. That's how much God loves you. He, he doesn't have a stopwatch on it like you and I put a stopwatch on love. There are no limits. He said, I so love. Somebody shout, so love. 
Now, you've got to understand why soul love is important because you and I have limits. I know we don't like to say that, but we, you have limits. And when you put limits on love, you prohibit the object of your love from being able to develop into the person that they're trying to be. So the, because to develop requires a handful of things. Development requires the ability to do it right. But it also requires an opportunity for me to mess it up. And then it must require an opportunity for me to get it back together. So you've got to love me beyond my mess up if you're going to help me develop into who God has called me to be. Now, this becomes critical. When God says, I so love, that means that at the, he took the, the finish line and he threw it away and said, just keep on living and let me conform you into my image. One of the reasons why there are not, there are not lasting and thriving and, and fearless relationships is because many of us go into a love relationship and we already have an, a closed door of what we ain't going to deal with. We come into the relationship talking about, I wish he would. If he did, I'd be out of here in a minute. I wish he would talk to me like that. I'll pack my stuff up, and before he know it, he'd go to work one day with a wife, come home, he'd be by himself, child. I'm trying to tell you. We already talk about the end. That's why verse 15 had, didn't talk about perishing. The church talks about perishing. God talks about life. The church talks about what's going to happen in the end. God talks about everlasting life. And you can not expect me to be my best when I'm always knowing that there is a door out there that has my expiration date of your love toward me. I cannot be who I need to be. Come on, come on, come on, brother John. I cannot become who I need to be. Will you stand with me for a second? I can't be who I need to be. Now, 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 John, I'm going to call your wife up. I'm going to call your wife up. Come on, wife, because this example is going to require a female. Amen. 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 I want you to see what happens now. Now, now this, this, this represents love. Come out, come out, come out, come out. This represents love. And this represents the end of our love. And as friends, as friends, if she keeps telling me that I wish you would go hang out with them, I, I, you can't be my friend and their friend at the same time, then I've got limits as to how far I could develop in our friendship. Are you following what I'm saying? And, and, and because I don't really always know where that door is, then I am limited to moving in the space of her that I trust. Are you following what I'm saying? So now her friendship could it really extend a lot further than I'm giving to the friendship. But because she's always talking about me getting out of the friendship, I don't want to try to press the limits of who the friendship could become. So I stay close in the zone where I know she's going to love me back, husbands and wives. When you're always talking about, well, I, if you do, I'll be out of here. I wish you would. I'll be, don't talk to me like that. My mama didn't talk to me like that. The next time I'm leaving, I'll pack my stuff up. That's why I got my own place, just in case you start acting up. And what happens, y'all are not talking back to me, and what happens is you're wondering, why is this man not developing into the man that I want him to be? Because he cannot develop, because he he don't know when you're going to cut the cord on how much you love him. Does your love bypass his slip-up? Does your love bypass his mess-up? Does your love bypass his seasons when he's not at his best? Or does he have to always play close to you? Y'all are not talking back to me in here. 
He will never divide. And then you be ready to leave because we don't ever do nothing. And you don't ever try. And you don't ever step outside of yourself. Because if I do step outside of myself, you told me you're going to go back to your mama's house. So we just do what you want to do. Y'all not talking back to me. All we do is what you like to do, and you think I'm uninventful, and you think I'm boring, and now you want to leave me to go find somebody that's more boring when you don't understand that the reason why I stay with God is because God erases the end, and he can deal with me in my humanity. Oh, I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. Ask your neighbor, can you handle me? Thank you. I know you love me, but can you handle me? And this... It's the kind of way that God chooses to love us. He chooses to love us agape style. Somebody shout agape. He chooses to love us by agape. Now, it's important that we understand this, this, part, this portion of it. He chose to love the world. Somebody shout the world. For God so loved what? The world. The word world is cosmos. A K, it was spelled with a K, O-S-M-O-S, cosmos. Now, here's what the cosmos means. Cosmos means order. Somebody shout order. Somebody shout order. The cosmos means order. And this is important that we understand what God said he fell in love with. God said that I so loved, I took the limits off of how I'm going to love, I so love the order. Now, you've got to understand something about, about what you don't understand. One thing that we do understand is we understand that there are about eight, nine planets in our solar system. What we understand is they all rotate around the sun. What we understand is that there's no life on any of them except for the third planet, which is the one we live on. What we understand is that there might be up to 100 billion stars just in our own planetary solar system. And what we realize is that we are one solar system, perhaps of over 800, 900 billion solar systems that exist out there. We got that. We understand that. Now, they also understand that there are solar systems that are outside of our observable uh, ability to, to get to. In other words, I believe it was about 19, uh, uh, and I'm, don't quote me on this time zone, but it was something like maybe 1953, they sent out a signal from one of our satellites, and the signal went out so long that when it, it bounced on something out in space and it finally came back and we did not get the frequency from that thing until almost 2003. So they sent it out in the 50s and it took about 30 something years for it to get back. That's how, now that means that there was something out there for the sound to bounce off of and come back. We don't have a camera to see it. We don't have the ability to be able to determine what's out there. But what we do know is that something is out there that will take sound. 30 human years to get to. And that is, so this, so watch this now. Now what has happened is the last rock that that, that piece of sound bounced off of never works its way through solar systems to ever come and collide and hit our solar system. That's what we understand. What we understand is that our entire galaxy, of which there may be over 900 billion galaxies out there like ours, never clashes with other galaxies that exist, that we know. We understand that. What we do know is that, uh, is that our Earth that rotates around the sun for one year, rotates on its own axis for one day, 
It never bumps into Mercury. It never has a collision with Mars. It has never, who has never had a collision with Jupiter, who has never had a collision with Uranus. What we do understand is that the sun is maintaining its heat, that it's not getting cooler and it's not getting hotter. It's not swelling up. It is no longer deciding that I don't want to be in the center of this universe anymore. That's not happening. What God understands now and what we understand is that in order for a child to be born, there must be a male seed and a female uh, uh, incubation system. And in order for that to happen, the seed must now penetrate the incubation system and the incubation system will begin to grow. And that is the only way that it can happen. We do understand, watch this, that from that our, earth, that our earth has four seasons, winter, summer, fall, and spring. But if you plant something in the wintertime, you can't expect it to come out the ground in the wintertime. What we understand is that even the universe knows that what your seed has to go into the ground in the spring. And then after the time of the summer, your greatest harvest will come up in the fall. And it is impossible for you to plant something in December and watch it come up in June and have a harvest in June. It doesn't work like that because even the universe understands that the winter time is to kill off everything on the top of the land while the, while the ground replenishes itself for the roots that are in the ground and that the springtime makes the ground soft so that the seed can come out of the ground and the summertime is when it starts to yield its fruit and the fall is when the greater and the last harvests are starting to come and then you're supposed to harvest in those seasons and plant in other seasons and this is the order. Somebody shout order. Life is operating in order. It never gets out of whack. It never gets out of, out of and, it, and science can't make it go out of order. And education can't make it go out of order. And psychologists can't make it go out of order. This thing was in order before you woke up and said, God, I want to be a say. I want you to save me. He was, had everything in order. God created this whole thing. It was working the way God wanted it to work. And God so loved what he created. Y'all missed that. You missed that. See, you've been jumping up and down. God loved me. God loved. No, God loved the order of which he created. And you are a part of the order of what God created. And when you try to step outside of the order, life doesn't work the way life could work as if we lived our life in biblical order. God, he does love you, but he so loved his order. He sent his son into the world to reestablish the order that he created. Now, you understand, so God is so, so y'all looking at me like y'all don't believe me. Watch this. So Adam is in the garden, and Adam is talking with God, and God looks at Adam, and he says, hey, it's not good for you to be alone. In other words, you were built for a relationship. So I'm going I'm to create a woman from you, and, and now you two will be in relationship. Now, what happens is they are walking through the garden, doing the work that God challenged them to do, and then here comes the serpent. What would happen in the cool of the day is Adam and Eve would meet with God, they would fellowship with God. And God would share with them the ideas and the secrets of the universe in the season that they were supposed to get information. Y'all better stay with me now. Is that God always meant for Adam and Eve to have all the information he had. But he wanted to slow drip it according to their maturation. Do you follow what I'm saying? God did not want to give them more information than they were mature enough to handle. And this is, this is critical. This is critical. I met a girl who had a baby at nine 
nine years old. She had a child at nine years old. And it, and it just hurt my heart because she was nine, but she had to act like she was 25 years old. And the unfortunate thing is that her season for her childhood was forfeited because she had responsibility that she didn't have maturation enough to sustain. Now, the sad part is that she's about 35 right now, and her child is something in her, in her 20s now, and she's 35 trying to recapture a season that she lost when she was 19. So when I look at her Instagram pictures, she looked like one of those kids out there, but she a grown woman. Because things got out of order because she had she because she was given information before she had maturation. And God didn't want them to have information before maturation. So here comes the, the serpent in the garden. And he tells them, hey, you should eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they eat of the tree, they get information. And they don't have the maturation to sustain themselves with the information that they have. And now things are out of order. Y'all are not talking back to me. Instead of God providing for him, he goes and tries to provide for himself. And God says, something is wrong with that order. I thought I set this thing up where I would provide for you and you would honor your wife and together you two would worship me and you would work the earth. Watch this. And I set it up so that when you tilled the garden, it would bring fruit out the ground. And when you named the animals, they would accept what you called them. He said, but your information has not without your maturation, has messed up the order of the way things are. God, I wish I had some help. So Genesis 3 says that the ground now will grow thistles and thorns and will fight against you. That wasn't the original order. So now you were supposed to subdue it. Now it's fighting you back. But I'm preaching better than y'all shouting amen. He said that, though, he said that you, you never needed to work the ground. He said, now you're going to have to make the ground yield seed. And then he looked over at the husband and the wife, and he told their wife, he said, hey, look. He says, you remember how you used to be equal with your husband in the garden? He says, now you're going to desire his position because now the new order is the man will be the head of the wife. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. And I'm not taking away your aptitude nor your intelligence, nor your gift set. You're just going to be gifted and mad about it because you know you're smarter than he is. He just won't listen. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting amen. That man, listen to me. Lord, I'm trying my best to be a good wife. He gonna make me smack him in his cheek, <laughs> and he and he better turn the other one if he's saved. So, so watch this. So, so God loved His order. He said, "I love this order so much." He said that I gave. Watch this. My only begotten. Somebody shout, "Only begotten." He he said, "I gave my only begotten." The love love's response to anything is to give. When you love, you give. When you love, you give. Now, hear what, what he said. He said, I'm giving, I'm giving my only begotten son. Now, I want you to notice what he gives. He doesn't give a present. He doesn't give a gift. What he gives is he gives of himself. Watch the Greek word. The Greek word is mon, mon, monogene. 
And uh, monogene is made of two words, only, mono, single, solely, and gene, which is family or, or gene pool, like we talk. He says that what I gave is I didn't give something, and I didn't create an angel, and I didn't tell something. He said what I chose to give was something begotten from me. He said what I chose to give, I didn't give a card, I didn't give a Rolex watch, I gave something that came from me. He says that I am not just giving you who you will call the son of God, I am giving you me. Me. I am giving you my gene pool. I am giving you what I'm made of. I'm giving, y'all are not talking back to me in here. He said that when he comes into the earth, it will be something that costs me something in order for you to have it. And, and it's so valuable that there's only one like it in the earth. You know, things that are valuable, things that are valuable, uh, a value grows with rarity. I want you to understand that. If it's a whole bunch of it out there, it's not that, it's not all that valuable. Like, don't come to me talking about, uh, you know, my purse is dope and, I, and it's super expensive when I can turn around and see everybody in the room can afford to get one. It's not that valuable. But now if it's a purse that's going to cost you, you're going to have to save up a couple paychecks in order to get it. If it's a purse where you look at and it just sits in the, if it's a purse, watch this, that never goes on sale because things that have value cost what they cost. I just preached this to somebody. Don't ever put yourself on sale. If you are valuable, you cost what you cost. If you want to marry me, rise up and get to me. If you want to love on me, rise up to my level and love on me. But I would not reduce myself because, so that you can afford me when the reality is if you went in the Louis store and, you're, and, you're, and you didn't have it, there is no layaway. There is no when is this going to go on sale. The lady going to look you in the face and say, come back when you can afford. Y'all with some people that can't afford you. And I'm not talking about what they can buy you. They can't afford your intellect. They can't keep up a conversation with you. They can't. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. And you are dumbing down who God called you to be because you lonely. I wish I had some help up in here. God said that I love you so much that I gave you the rarest thing, the most valuable thing that I have. I gave you myself. And, and, and Thanksgiving or, or Valentine's Day is coming up. And let me help you understand something. Your, your significant other will appreciate whatever gift you buy them as long as it includes you. Can I say that again? As long as it includes you. I don't want another gift that don't have your heart behind it. I want another meal that don't have your heart behind it. Don't try to suit me up because you want something from me later by giving me a gift. I'm not bought by gifts. I'm bought by heart. And the church said, he said, I'm bought by heart. I have eaten more meals that I did not necessarily care for because of the heart that made it for me. Are you understanding? All meals are not created equal. I'm just going to tell you all that right now. All meals are not created equal. They're just not created equal. But there are some people that, that you can tell that they put love in the meal that you're eating. And watch that. And it's not always the best meal that you've eaten, but it's the love in it that makes you take what you otherwise wouldn't have took because it really wasn't about the meal. It's about the person that took the time. It's about the person that took the time to care about you because they had something else to do too. So God says, so I love the world that I gave my only begotten. I gave of myself that whoever believes in me, watch this, and I'm almost done. He said, whoever believes in me will never perish. Now he's talking about perishing. 
He's talking about perishes, which, which means to destroy utterly or permanently, fully destroy or cancel out. He says, we're not cancel out. Now, let me help you understand what he means when he say perish. So, at the end, in the book of Revelations, the Bible says that, that, <clears throat> that they go through the book of life. And God says that instead of blotting their name out of the book of life, I blotted their sins. All right? So, that word blot is it, 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 the word for cancel. He says, that there were some that when I looked in the book of life, their name had been canceled out of the book of life. And, and that's what he means when he said perish, to be canceled out of the book of life. Perish doesn't mean die. It means to be canceled out of the book of life, right? It, and I would rather have my sins canceled out than to have my name canceled out, right? He says, I blot out your sins. I take your sins and make them as far as the east is from the west. And I take, the, I take your scarlet sin and make it white as snow. That's what he said in Isaiah. And now he says in the book of Revelations that, that there were names that were blotted out of the book of life. And, and we don't want to be blotted out. So when he talks now, he says, whoever believes in him will not be blotted out. That doesn't mean destroyed, utter, you know, we, in the church world, we're like, you know, that means you're going to hell and we're going to throw you in the lake of fire and all that stuff. And, and, and that's an eschatological conversation we'll talk about at a different time. But what he's meaning is that, is that however, well, well, let me finish the sentence so you can understand. It said, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but they should have age-long, unending, everlasting life. Now stay with me because you got to understand why these two are, are important. Because to destroy just means to blot out in this instance. In the Old Testament, I know we went over a couple of scriptures that say where the people have no vision, they perish. That word perish is different than this word. It's written in a whole different language. It is a Hebraic language. It is, it is not, this is Greek. So don't take this and apply it to that scripture. Amen? Amen? Rightfully dividing the word of God. That's what he says. But let's keep this in mind. <clears throat> the idea of there being everlasting life and the idea of what he means to say blotted out. He is not saying that you are going to perish, you're going to die, you're going to cease to live. That's not what he's saying. What we understand, he says, I'm going to give you everlasting zoe. Everlasting zoe. Zoe means, <clears throat> it is the Greek word for eternal life. Now, watch this. One scripture, and I want you to write this down. I didn't put it in your notes, but I want you to write this scripture down. John 17 and 3. Jesus defines eternal life like this. He says, and this is the eternal life, that they might know that they are the only true God. He says that they might know, emphasis on the word know. Somebody shout no. Greek word gnosko, G-N-O-S-K-I-O, gnosko. Greek word gnosko, that they might know. This is eternal life, that they might know. Somebody shout no. This is the kind of knowing that takes place when a person has been intimate with another human being, that when there has been intercourse with another human being, is that there is a swap of spiritual genetic DNA, spiritual genetic information that takes place when a person has become intimate with somebody else. And when the two bodies come apart, the two spirits are still connected. And now you gnosko stuff about who you just laid with that you didn't gnosko before you laid with them. You just know stuff. You know what I mean? You just know stuff. You don't know why you know, but you just do know. That's just what happens when people, and that's why the Bible says you better be careful. Because you might know a whole lot more people than you want to know. But what happens with knowing 
is that you just know. You just know. Like, why she, I know she's sick right now. Why, I know something ain't right with her. I don't know why. Hey, sweetheart, you okay? You was right on time. I sent her a text the other day. She was like, you're right on time. My husband, no. There's be knowing and it, because we've been knowing. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but, but I need you to understand that. That, that you don't, it's not, it's not, it, it feels spiritual because it is spiritual. And I want you to understand that that's what happens. That's what the Bible is saying. So now, God is saying that I want to have a life with you, an eternal life, a Zoe life. I want to be in relationship with you where you are walking it not with me, but you are walking it as me. You are walking it not just with me. You are, she walks this earth as me. Two bodies, two separate entities. I walk this earth as her now. I see through the lenses of her experiences, though I did not experience them. She, she understands things about my journey, though she did not walk my journey. And God, this is, now watch this, because this is what God was trying to do with Adam. He was trying to do this with Adam. Adam, I just want you to have this conversation with me, and I'm going to give you information about me and about you and about the universe and about the world around us. And he says, and as we walk together, I will give you information as you are mature enough to manage it and to handle it. Satan came in and gave him more information than he was prepared to handle, so God cut off the conversation and had to deal with redemption because redemption was never supposed to be a part of Adam's journey. God, help me in this place. So now God's got to pause the conversation with Adam, deal with the redemption to get Adam back in right relationship, and what the first Adam, Romans 4, did not do, the second Adam has come and accomplished, and we live a life with God through the second Adam, and we are now able to continue the conversation with God, and God can show us great and mighty things that we did not know in an eternal place. Whoever believes in him should not be blotted out, not of life, but out of the eternal conversation that we're going to have. And this is what happens when unrepentant, that God says that I stopped the conversation. They don't cease to live. They continue to live, but the conversation gets blotted out. And this is what God calls eternal love. I gave you eternal love. I give you the kind of love that we're going to continue the conversation. And this is the kind of love that God has for us, that he wants us to have for one another. And this is the kind of love that helps us understand how thoroughly and completely and how wonderfully God loves us because we are a part of his order. Amen. Stand up all over the building. I want to pray for you real quick. I want, if that blessed anybody, will you give God a hand praise? If that blessed anybody. If that blessed anybody, lift those hands, lift those hands, lift those hands, lift those hands all over this building. Lift those hands, lift those hands, lift those hands. I want you to sense, I want you to sense that God loves you. I want you to sense that God loves you. Before you did anything for him, he loved you. I want you to just sense, I want you to feel his presence around you right now. Before, before you did something right, before you did anything wrong, God says before the foundation of this world, I loved you because I always saw you a part of my order. I always saw you a part of what I what I'd put together. He said that I created you that you might give me praises. He said that that's, that's the purpose. You are a part of the order of how I was supposed to get praise. 
and yeah, yeah, Adam, Adam made it a, a, a tricky situation, but, but I sent my only begotten son that if you can believe on me, he said, you won't be blotted out. But the kind of life you will live after your body gives you away, the kind of life you will live will be one where you get to know me. It'll be one where you get to understand me. It'll be one where I start to explain my part. And it's going to take eternity for that to happen now. He says, he says I'm going to give you free access. The Bible said that Moses... Ask God to show me a face. God says, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll show you my glory. The Bible says he walked by in what appeared to be the hind parts, which is what we described in the word, uh, described. The Bible said that, that he, Moses saw his hind parts. He didn't literally see a backside. The Bible says that the, the, the original thought is that he was able to see the ages, that God showed him stuff that was beyond his experience. And this is what God is trying to do for us. This is, what, this is what eternal life is. It's not just not going to hell. That's not eternal life. Who wants to be in a relationship with you because they just don't want to be in a relationship with that other person? Why are you here? Because you're better than, than that person. No, I want to know that I'm above. I want to know that I'm your only. I want to know that it didn't matter who else walked in this room. You're going to be with me. That's what I want to know. I want to know that they're going to be greater that walks in here and you're going to be committed to being with me. That's what God said. That's why Paris wasn't in verse 15 because God never wanted you to respond to him based off of the blotting of your name. He wanted you to respond to him based off the fact that he absolutely loves you. Lift those hands all over this building. Maybe you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor, I never knew that God loved me like that. I never knew he could love me through my shortcomings and love me through my error. I didn't know he would love me through all of my conflicting parts. I didn't realize that God would love me when I didn't understand him and when I walked away from him. I did not know that he made a covenant to love me. And today I want to dedicate my life to him or today I want to rededicate my life to him. Today I want to receive him as my savior. Listen, there are a lot of people with their hands up, but if you are saying, Pastor, will you just pray for me? I want you to push your hand in the air like you're in the second grade. I want to send somebody. We're coming to you. Come on, come on, go, come on, come on, come on. Go find somebody with their hand up, elders. We see you in the balcony. We are hustling. Keep your hand up. Come on, move quicker. We got to move faster toward the balcony. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We need a couple brothers in the balcony. Thank you, thank you. Lift those hands up high. Separate yourself from the people worshiping. Wave your hand. And it's not fall out, drag out. You don't have to worry about getting knocked down. It's just a matter of saying, God, I'm with you. It's God, I'm with you. God, I'm with you. Yes, 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 yes. God, I'm with you. God, thank you for sticking in there with me. Thank you for not walking away from me. Thank you for, walking, thank you for not walking away from me. Thank you for keeping your promise with yourself in the name of Jesus. If you see a hand, I see a hand, I see hands. Lift those hands. We're sending people to pray for you. Amen. He loves us. Come on, help us say that. He, uncontrollably. He is not ashamed of you. He knows and he still got your back. 
And what his promise, his promise isn't that life would be perfect, but life would be with him. And even in pain, some kind of way that makes things perfect. I want you to lift those hands and bless God. If we're praying with you, I want you to receive them in your heart. That whether you realize it or not, your life has changed by this decision. Lift those hands. Come on now. Now, if you're born again, I need you to help me worship. I need you to help me worship. He loves. I need you to help me worship. Oh, God. He loves. Come on, help us say that. He loves us. He loves us. Oh, he loves. That's it. Oh, that's it. He loves us. That's it. He bless you, Jesus. You love us. Through our failures, our shortcomings, our mistakes, you love us, God. Our good stuff, bless you, man. Bless you, man. Bless you, brother. Bless you, man. Listen, 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 listen. If you prayed that prayer, will you come down? I'd love to pray with you. I love to pray with you. I want to pray with you. If you prayed that prayer, you're saying, you know what, I give my life back to the Lord. Or maybe you're saying, this is my first time giving my life back to giving my life to the Lord. I want to pray with you, sir or ma'am. I will wait for you. 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 Lift those hands.